We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you remember last week, we started out in 1 Peter 1. Uh, kind of a pure coincidence, but it's going to tie in a little bit uh, if you were paying attention last week. Uh, but I am excited about today and today's passage and what we're going to talk about because I think it might be um, one of the most glossed over concepts of Christianity in cultural Christianity uh, within America and maybe even uh, within the world. Uh, I think far too many of Christians treat Jesus as a get out of hell free card, not realizing that God has saved us for something that we're heading towards. And so that's what this passage is going to get us into uh, and just show us with clarity where God is taking us. And so I'm excited about it. hope you're excited about it. Uh, I know we just sat down, but can we all stand up for the reading of God's word? First Peter chapter one, starting in verse 13 is where we're going to be. Therefore, Peter says, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, that you allow us to just peer into the plan and the purposes that you have for our lives. And I pray for the next few moments as we dig into this passage that, um, that you might uh, soften our hearts and open our eyes that we might know where you are calling us to go. That you're not just saving us from death, but you're saving us for life. And so, God, I pray that we would approach this with humility, knowing that you are God and that we are not, that your word carries authority and we do not, that, that you know better and that we need to lean on your understanding and not our own. I pray that you might guide us as we walk through this in the next few moments. Lord, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, when I was in sixth grade, one of my favorite times of the day was P.E. Anyone else? Any P.E. people in the room? I loved P.E. not because I had any sort of supernatural athletic skills. I think we've established that that was not the case. I didn't love P.E. because we uh, would do the stretches. Do you all remember these guys right here? Feels pretty good now. I'm getting old enough now that they're actually applicable to my life. I loved PE, not for those reasons, but because of one thing, dodgeball. I love dodgeball. I don't know if they still play dodgeball today, but I can tell you this, dodgeball today was different than dodgeball back then. Back then, they didn't care about the kid's safety. Uh, and so nowadays you have foam balls, Back then, you had those old rubber balls. You all remember that? And the ones that we had were like slightly deflated. And so you could get like a real good grip on it as you were aiming at another kid's face. And you didn't get in trouble if you did hit someone in the face. You just, it was encouraged. They just kept telling you to go at it. 
Man, dodgeball was one of my favorite times uh, in PE, and it would always go the exact same way. There were two groups of kids. There were the athletic kids, and then there were the normal kids that weren't coordinated at all. I can let you guess which one I was a part of. And so there were these two groups of kids, and they would always uh, divide us out evenly to make sure all the athletic ones didn't get on the same team. But here's what would happen every time. The game is about to start, and all of the athletic kids on that team would get together and coordinate, and when the game would start, they would stay back and allow all of the, the lame kids to go just have a good time, get themselves out, and then when all of the lame kids have gotten themselves out, then the athletic kids step in and the real game starts. Anyone else have that experience? Okay. So that's how it always go. I was in the let's just have fun category. Um, they, they, they would always stay back behind me until one day, one day we were starting and I had proven myself worthy because right before the, the coach you know, blew the whistle to start the game, one of the athletic kids tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, Chris, stay back. It was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> Never have I felt more accomplished and more satisfied in my life, including the birth of my children. <laughs> I've been chasing that moment ever since then. Me and my therapist talk about it often. Anyways, so they asked me to step back and all of a sudden I was part of the athletic kids and man, I played that game with as much vigor and passion as I possibly could to prove to them that they did not make a bad choice in having me go. And, and I don't remember how the game went, but they probably were disappointed. <laughs> I tell that story to help us define a word in the Bible. We see in today's passage and throughout the whole Bible, this word holy. Now, what does that word mean? It, uh, in its most simplest definition, the word holy means to be separate from or to be set apart. And so if we were to look at uh, my experience with dodgeball, these athletic kids would get together and they would separate themselves and set themselves apart from everyone else for a plan and for a purpose, right? And if we were to look at it in the context of God, and what's going on and how it relates to God, we see that in the Bible that God is holy, that God is holiness, that God is separate and set apart from the world and the things of the world. And if you were to look at the world today, like read the news, go on Facebook, all about Azel, Azel residence page, you would see very clearly sin in our life. Go to Walmart, you would see sin in our life. And in the midst of that sin, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of all that evil and selfishness, you have God who is separate and set apart from those things. The world is sinful. God is holy. God is perfect. God is good. God is sinless. God is set apart. Now, for our purposes today, how it relates to us in this passage is it's important because through the gospel of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, resurrecting three days later, God in his holiness is now inviting us in to that holiness. He is inviting us into his separateness, his set-apartness. In the same way that those athletic kids said, hey, Chris, take a step back, be set apart with us. God is saying through the gospel, take a step back. You are now set apart from the world. 
He's calling us to be holy as he is holy. We see this in today's passage, if we pull it back up. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." So we, God, we have God here explicitly calling us to be holy as he is holy, set apart as he is set apart. And here's what that means, practically speaking. That means that through the gospel, God has now equipped you and called you to go to war with your sin, that you might become holy and set apart. See, the Christian life is this paradox life that on one hand, we are sinful, we have a sinful nature, Right? We all sin. Yet on the other hand, God has given us his spirit. If you've placed your faith in Christ, God has given us his spirit. And now you have the flesh, the sinful nature, and the spirit at odds with each other in your life. And the call to holiness is for you to yield yourself to the spirit that you might put to death the works of the flesh. Meaning that every day you are giving in less and less to your sinful nature and you're yielding yourself more and more to the Spirit. That you sin less and less and you grow more and more in God. That's, that's what the path to holiness looks like. And I would go far enough to say this, that that, that right there, our holiness, is one of the main reasons that Jesus even died for us. That, that when Jesus died for you and for me, it wasn't just so that we can be, you know, saved from hell, but that we might find new life in him. P Peter, right before this passage, spends some time opening up what is prompting all of this discussion. In verse 3 of uh, Peter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. In other words, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you have been saved and you have been redeemed. You were dead in your sin and God has made you alive and born again and has all sorts of great things planned for you in Christ. Now, Peter goes on to uh, explain this more in depth over the next 10 verses, but as he's concluding this concept of God has saved us and made us alive, we get to today and he starts to transition from, here's what God has done for us and transitions us into, okay, now what does that look like for us? So if you pull back up uh, verse 13, the first word there is therefore. Bible study tip. If you see the word therefore, ask yourself what the word therefore is therefore. Something like that. That word therefore means because of this, meaning there was a statement of fact, therefore, because of that statement, this effect now goes into place. Example, Chris has a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Therefore, Chris doesn't get sleep. All right, y'all see how that works? Y'all see how language works? That's what we have right here. Peter says, because, or sorry, Peter says, God has made you alive and born again and has all of these treasures built up for you in Christ. Therefore, because of that, pursue holiness. Because of that, we are now moving in a direction that we weren't moving in before. Because of that, 
be set apart. This is the calling for every Christian in this room. If you have placed your faith in Christ, it is not meant to just sit there and go get thrown into a closet, but it's meant to spur on and be birthed into a new life for you. So the real question, though, is how? If God is calling us to go to war with our sin and to become holy as he is holy, how do we do that? It's easy to say, become holy. What's hard is actually making a plan and executing that plan. So here's what I want to do today. I want to look at this passage and see the plan that God gives for us. God is very good at not just explaining why we do what we do. He's not just explaining what we do but he explains how we do it and how we go about it. And I think this passage gives us steps as we take our journey towards holiness. And so what I want to do is just point out three steps that we see in today's passage as we move towards holiness. Okay, so we're going to pick it back up in verse 13. Uh, you can go ahead and go to the next one. There we go. So therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober Minded, We're going to just hone in on that right there. So therefore, because of God making us alive again and, and making us born again, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. So the first step that we see there as we start to move towards holiness is that we prepare our minds. That's the first step. Prepare your mind. That's the first step that we take in going to war with our sin. And I use that word war there, not flippantly. I'm not just trying to, to throw out some buzzwords for you. I think that's literally what the Bible is calling us to do, is to go to war with our sin. Contrary to popular belief, if you have been saved in Christ, you have not been removed from the battle, but rather you have been awakened to the battle. You haven't been pulled out of suffering, but rather uh, you have been equipped and given uh, the, the tools to go and battle suffering and to go battle struggle, most particularly the struggle with our sin, right? Now, here, if we look uh, in this passage, when Peter says, you can go ahead and pull that passage back up. When Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, where it says preparing your minds for action, some of y'all may have a footnote right there, and the footnote says, or gird your loins, which is a fabulous phrase. Um, gird your loins. What does that mean? Well, back then, they wore tunics, uh, or just kind of think like long robes, and all of this worked fine for them. They didn't have pants and shirts like, like we have now. They wore these tunics, and this was fine until they got into a situation where they need to move with some agility, or they need to go do some, some hard labor, or if they were preparing for a battle or preparing for action, they would use this phrase, gird your loins which this is what they would do. They would take the extra um, clothing material from their tunics, pull it up, wrap it up in their legs, and tie it off. And so now they're ready to move, right? Like their, their material in their tunic isn't going to get in the way. And so if you were expecting a situation in which you might have to defend yourself, in which you might have to go to battle, or in which you might have to move with great agility on the spur of the moment, what would you do? You would gird your loins and prepare. That's exactly what Peter is calling us to do. He's saying that we're in the exact same situation, that we are moving into a situation where you need to be ready to go, that you need to be on the defensive. So what do you need to do? Gird your loins, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, we're going to war. 
Gone are the days that you could just scoot by and allow sin to reign supreme in your life. Because God has redeemed you, you have now been called to action. So prepare yourself. Now, what's important here, as we prepare ourselves for battle, that we're focused on the right enemy. Being prepared for battle does no good if there's a bunch of friendly fire going on. And so luckily, Peter, later on in this letter, uses the same battle language and sober-minded language again, and he goes more into depth in, as to what our enemy is and what we need to be focused on. This First 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So our enemy is the devil. Now, don't write that off as too basic. Yeah, I get it, Chris. The enemy is the devil. No, there's a profound truth to that that we all just need to let sink in because here's what that verse tells me. That verse tells me that the biggest problem in your marriage is not your wife. The biggest problem in your marriage is not your husband. Our enemy is not our boss or our coworkers. Our enemy is not our kids or our family members. Our enemy is not that one person that we just can't stand to be around. Our enemy is Satan, sin, the dark powers of this earth. And that's what our gaze needs to be on as we're preparing for battle. Lest we start to have a bunch of friendly fire. Ephesians 6 says this, Paul is expanding on this very concept, and he says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's the important part, y'all. See that? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning it's not your spouse, it's not your kids, it's not your boss. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's our enemy right there. There's a battle that has been going on since the dawn of time, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden when the serpent tempted them. This battle has been going on and you and I have been sucked up into this battle from the moment that we are born. And now that you and I have been redeemed in Christ, we have been awakened to the battle and given the tools necessary to go fight the fight. If we want to answer the call to become holy as God is holy, it starts with preparing our minds for action as we step into the fight with sin. Let's go ahead and keep going. Uh, back in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see that uh, the first step is to prepare your minds. The second step is to set your hope. Set your hope. Now, when the Bible talks about hope, it's always trying to pull our attention off of the present and onto a future event. And that's really important when we're talking about sin because uh, what sin wants us to do is to focus on the here and now. What's going to satisfy me right now? What's going to uh, give me uh, satisfaction right now where hope is taking our mindset onto the future? We live in an instant gratification world. How many of you have paid more for a product because you can get it sooner? Has anyone ever done that? Have you ever had a situation where you could buy something on Amazon and maybe wait a few days, or you could spend an extra 50 bucks, drive 30 minutes down the road and get it today? I've done that. Amazon realized that this was an issue. 
And that's why you see Amazon investing enormous amounts of money in uh, distribution centers, like you might have seen them popping up around Fort Worth, and uh, enormous amounts of money into systems to get you those products faster, like to the point now that there's some Amazon products that you can get within an hour, which is just mind-boggling. There's a reason they do this. They did studies, and they found that 63% of people would switch where they bought a product if that delivery was slow for that product. And they found that along with that, um, that 69% of people were willing to spend more money if they could get that product even just a day faster. And so they thought to themselves, okay, well, if we're losing, you know, two-thirds of our sales, why not just develop systems to get the product to them faster? Even if it costs money, we get the sales. We live in an instant gratification world where people want that. And, and hear me, here's the important part, that is Satan's play place. An instant gratification world is where Satan thrives because if he can get you to take your mind off of where you're going and put it onto what will satisfy you in the moment, that's when he can get you to give in to sin. I mean, just look at how he operated with Jesus. When you look at Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, Jesus um, uh, fasted. And when Satan came up to tempt him, how did he tempt him? With food, right? That makes sense. So Satan was basically like, hey, you're hungry. You can make this stone turn to bread. Just make it turn to bread and then you can eat and then you're fine. You don't have to be hungry anymore. That was effectively the temptation that, that uh, Satan was giving Jesus. He was trying to get Jesus to abandon his calling to give into his instant gratification. And that's exactly how he works with you and me. If your mind isn't set on a future hope, if it's set on the here and now, then Satan will get you to give in to, ten, uh, uh, give you, give in to sin. He'll get you to abandon your calling with God because whatever's on the other side of that bottle, whatever's on the other side of that internet site, whatever's on the other side of that person, whatever's on the other side of that vice or addiction that you have seems like it's going to fix your immediate problem. He's getting you to focus on the here and now rather than on the future. And God is saying, you want to be holy? Set your mind, set your hope on the future. Now, what are we supposed to focus on? What was this hope supposed to be put on? If we pull back up the passage, set your hope, this is midway through verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we're supposed to focus on Jesus coming back and us experiencing full redemption, full grace that's found in him. But what does that even mean? Right? Like, like, what does it mean to experience the full grace of God? I think what Peter's trying to do here is bring our minds back to what prompted this entire conversation. If you remember, what prompted this whole passage is Peter laying out everything that God has done for us in the gospel, and he actually expands on what awaits us in heaven. If you pull back up verse 3, uh, just a little bit earlier, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's the goal. Well, like that's what we're going to experience at the revelation of Christ is this inheritance that's waiting for us. 
And if we're in the midst of struggle right now, what Satan wants you to do is to focus on right now. How awful is your life right now? How miserable are you right now? How depressed are you right now? How anxious are you right now? Are right now? Here's all the different ways you can satisfy that. Here's all this sin that you can satisfy these things. And it's not going to fix these things, but it'll at least make it where you don't have to think about it for the next 30 minutes. That's what Satan's going to do. And what God is doing is you might be in the struggle right now, but look forward because there's going to be a day where you're going to um, have a life free from struggle, a life free from pain, a life free from sin. It's waiting for you and it's not going to fade. It's going to last. God is trying to get our minds off of right now and onto the future. That way we might live out Hebrews 12, where it says, let's run with endurance the path set before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You want to answer the call to holiness, set your hope on what God has for you in the future, not what sin can offer you today. All right, so if we keep moving, the first step is to prepare your mind. The second is to set your hope. And the third step, as we answer the call to holiness, is to conform your heart. To conform your heart. If we pull back up the passage today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter is telling us that, that a crucial step in answering the call to holiness is not to conform ourselves to our former passions, our former ignorance, but yet conform ourselves to the character and the holiness of God. And, and here's the beauty of the gospel that I uh, hope you take away today, is that God has not just saved you from something, but he has saved you for something. That, that God has not just saved you from death, but he has saved you for life. That he has not just saved you from shame, but he has saved you for exaltation. That he has not just saved you from your formal passions, aka your simple life, but he has saved you for freedom and for holiness. I think there's a great misunderstanding uh, whenever we read passages like this where, where we tend to put like, God is just trying to throw a bunch of rules on our life. Like God is just drawing arbitrary lines in the sand and he's just trying to like ruin my fun. And that's not what's happening at all. God is not trying to limit your fun. He's trying to give you freedom in, his, in, in how he's designed us to live. Like in the same way, me and my daughter Lottie were outside in the front yard yesterday playing and I told Lottie, hey, stay in the yard where I can see you. And she said, oh, man. It's like what she doesn't realize, what she thinks is, okay, me drawing a line at the street is her losing her fun, right? But what she doesn't realize is that in the street are dangers that could <laughs> take away her fun very quickly, right? That's how God is working with us. He's not trying to, to just ruin your life. He's trying to say, hey, here's how I designed for you to live. Here's what it looks like to be holy. Here's where freedom, true freedom is found, not at the end of a bottle, but in me. That's what he's calling us to. And unfortunately, what I think is that a lot of Christians, even though they are saved, don't have this freedom. They have slavery. 
That even though God has saved them from the effects of their sin, they're still living in the midst of their sin. Even though that God has saved them from the consequences of their sin, they're still wrapped up in their former passions. Not realizing that God has called you to a better life out of that. That there's nothing better than for me to stand here and say that because of God in my life, I am not who I used to be. That, that I was addicted to stuff and I gave my life to stuff and I chased different things and, and God has pulled me out of that, not because of anything that I've done, because of his, his spirit working within me. God is calling us to that freedom. How do we do that? There's no doubt if there's anyone in this room who's struggling with sin in their life, maybe for decades, that's not that you don't, it's not that you want to be there. So how do you get out of that? Well, well, Peter gives us help on how we should get out of that. Later on in, in verse 18 of this passage, Peter says this. He says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. What is Peter doing here? He's pulling it full circle. Remember, he says, what started this whole process is, is that you've been born again, that you've been made alive in God. Therefore, pursue holiness. How do you pursue holiness? You've been born again. You've been made alive. You've been redeemed. Some of your uh, translations may say you have been ransomed from your empty way of life. I love that word because it implies that you've been bought. Meaning that when Jesus hung on that cross and paid the debt that you and I racked up, he not only paid the debt that you owed, but now that allows you to walk free and clear into freedom. And how silly would you and I be if once a debt has been paid, we just walk right back into it? How silly would it be if someone came and paid your mortgage and you kept paying the mortgage payment to the bank? God has freed you from these things. Now our calling is to walk in that freedom and not turn back to our empty way of life that he freed us from. On May 19th, uh, 2019, a graduation ceremony was taking place for uh, 400 graduates in Morehouse College, which is over in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, college graduation is a bittersweet time. Uh, you're wrapping up all of your schooling and you are excited to move on with your life and get a job and, and just start your adulthood. Uh, but at the same time, you're also terrified because you have student loans and uh, they just chase you around like a little puppy. And you're trying to figure out, okay, am I going to get the right job? Am I going to enjoy the job? Am I going to be good at the job? Am I going to have enough money to survive and, and do all this stuff? Well, that's all in the thoughts of these graduates' heads as they're listening uh, or at their graduation. And they invited a man named Robert F. Smith, who's an entrepreneur, to come give the commencement speech uh, at this uh, graduation. And in this commencement speech, I had all the normal stuff, you know, like, hey, you're starting a new journey, go make change, go be a force for good in the world, you know, all the, the stuff. Well, right in the middle of this speech, um, Robert F. Smith wanted to not only impart wisdom on how they should move forward after their graduation, but as he says, he wanted to put fuel in their bus to, pro to propel them forward. 
And so right there during the middle of his commencement speech, he said, I vow and promise to pay all of your student loans. Imagine that. Imagine if you were at the commencement speech or at your graduation and the guy said, I'm going to pay all your student loans. Bigger question is, how many invites did he get to give commencement speeches next year? <laughs> so all of you know, these 400 students hearing this, um, obviously were taken back, surprised, excited, all started to get up, you know, high five, celebrating, standing ovation for Robert Smith. And just in case you're wondering, he did you know, uphold his promise a few months later. He came and settled the debt for all the student loans, uh, summing up to $34 million he paid. And the reason Smith paid these loans is so that they were not burdened by the debt that they had built and that they may be able to walk free as they began their life. Hear me. The same is true for you and me. That Jesus dying on the cross bought you at a price. He paid the debt that you owed. Not that you may sit back in that debt, but that you might walk free from that debt into a life of holiness that God designed for you to live. God didn't just save you from something, he saved you for something. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, that you care enough about us that you are interested in making us holy. And I pray, God, for everyone in this room that we would answer that call. I don't know where everyone's at. Uh, there may be people in here who have been struggling with the same sin in their life since they were 13 years old. And maybe today is the day where they say, no more. I've been redeemed in Christ. I've been made alive. And through the power of the Spirit, I am not going to allow the sin in my life to reign supreme anymore. But through your Spirit, I'm going to pursue holiness in you. Maybe there's people in this room who have been attacking the wrong enemy that they've been blaming everyone else around them for all the problems in their life. That maybe they're struggling and, and they're just trying to look for someone to take it out on. And, and Lord, encourage them, convict them, and remind them that their enemy is not the people around them. Their enemy is Satan and sin and evil. And that's where we need to focus our attacks to. pray for anyone in this room who, who hasn't experienced the salvation of Christ because without the salvation of Christ none of this is possible holiness is not possible without the saving work of Christ in our life I pray that if there's anyone in here who hasn't placed their faith in Jesus that they would do so now that they might find true freedom in you We're going to move into a time of invitation and this time is a time for you to respond in however God is calling you. I don't know how God is working in your life. You may need to just sit and talk with God and, and just repent of the sin in your life. Maybe you realize that you haven't actually given your life to Jesus and let me just be very clear and very blunt here. Um, notice the order in this passage. It wasn't become holy, then get saved. It was get saved, then become holy. And so you may be just spinning your wheels over and over again, trying to do all of the right things, 
But if you haven't found your faith and salvation in Christ, it's all for nothing. Maybe that's where you need to start. It's just placing your faith in Jesus and receiving the salvation that God has given us. Maybe you just need to come up here and pray. Just spend some time with God. Pray at your seats. Maybe you want prayer. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to walk you through whatever God's calling you to do. This is your time. Can we all stand up together? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And however God is calling you to move right now, we invite you to move.